Lifting Leaders podcast, where we're unleashing leader possibilities to make a better world. I'm Trisha Ryan, and together with Crystal Roberts, we're diving deeper into some of the complexities of the world's most critical challenges and exploring innovative ways of navigating through them. Through interviews with experts and leaders just like you, we are exploring what it takes to thrive as a leader today and examining new ways of thinking about how to creatively lead into a more equitable, socially responsible, and sustainable future. And the future starts now. Today, we have an incredible guest, Susan Mann, joining us. We're going to be talking with her about how to sustain our spirit in challenging times for us as individuals and as leaders for our teams and organization. And we'll also be talking with Susan about how her work as a consultant and master coach has been influenced by working with Dr. Brene Brown. And we're also going to wiggle in some discussion about a really small topic, how to be a more courageous and brave leader. Small topic, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. But before we dive in, here's a little more about Susan. And if you would like her full bio, um, please go to our show notes and it'll be linked in uh, there. So Susan Mann has 30 years of senior leadership experience in banking, higher education, and philanthropy. She's dedicated her career to creating opportunities for people to grow. That passion has resulted in awards for designing, facilitating, and coaching in two leadership development programs and recognition for exemplifying the spirit of diversity and as a woman changing the world. Susan was an early adopter of Dr. Brene Brown's evidence-based work on courage, vulnerability, wholeheartedness, and empathy. She's a certified facilitator in Dare to Lead and the Daring Way, and serves as a consultant to Brene Brown Education and Research Group. An advocate of nature and conservation, Susan and her husband, Charles Bergman, have voyaged across six continents in search of rare birds and have seen all 18 penguin species in the wild, which sounds like quite an adventure. (laughs) Charles wrote a book about their adventure titled Every Penguin in the World, The Quest to See Them All. Susan is a watercolor artist and enjoys creating colorful travel journals. So on a personal note, I have had the opportunity to work with Susan over the past few years and beyond all of her amazing experience and wisdom, I've experienced Susan as a genuine, caring person with great depth and insight. She also lives her life as a living example of what she speaks about. She walks her talk. She lives the practices that support resilience, and she is a brave and courageous person and leader who is not afraid to have tough conversations. Susan is also dedicated to excellence. I can always count on Susan to pay attention to not only the big picture, but the details that make an important difference in the outcomes. So thanks for showing up in the world as you do, Susan, and for taking the time to talk with us today. And I'm really excited for this conversation, and I know our listeners are going to greatly benefit from the discussion. So welcome, Susan. Hi, Trisha. Hi, Crystal. Aren't you excited for today? I am. I'm excited. This is going to be so much fun. So anything, Trisha, that you'd like to add before we jump in? I'm just, um, I've only known Susan for a short while. I had the uh, great pleasure and honor of getting to go to a retreat that she was leading. And um, I'm, I'm just so amazed that we get to actually talk to you again. It's, it's, um, it's important. 
you know, you, you stand for a lot of things that we truly believe in. And I think that our listeners are going to be so happy that they, they take the time to listen today. So thank you for coming. Thank you. Thanks. Anything, Susan, you'd like to say before we jump in? Well, I'm, I'm blushing a little bit. Um, it's just <laughs> wonderful to see you both, Tricia and Crystal, and thank you for the generous introduction. And I'm, I'm delighted uh, by the invitation and really looking forward to the conversation. You know, you're doing a wonderful thing, putting this podcast out into the world and so honored to be here as a guest with you. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks for being a part of that. So we start with our first question that we always do, which we know is huge, but um, we'd love to hear how people answer this. So tell us your story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is a great question. And, you know, this is the kind of thing where, like, we could sit around the campfire and share (laughs) our stories and it would take hours, right? (laughs) Yes. So I gave it some thought, like, okay, how do I really get to the essence of this? And here I am in my mid-60s, so... uh, there have been a few years of yeah. this story unfolding. <laughs> um, certainly nature lover, uh, adventurer, and explorer. A big one, oldest of five kids, a mm. uh, family member and friend. And one of the things that I reflected on, too, is I'm an experience creator and a convener of people. Mm -hmm. Um, and have been for a long time. So those are some of the things that describe me and make up my story. I'm a fourth-generation Seattleite. Uh, My Mm -hmm. family's been in the Seattle area since uh, the 1890s. Wow. Um, So for a very long time, I sometimes describe myself as a true you know, tree hugging, nature loving, <laughs> granola crunching, <laughs> northwesterner. <laughs> yeah. You know, and everything that that means. Like, I don't use an umbrella. I just go yeah. out with my, you know, Gore Tex on <laughs> when it's <laughs> raining. Uh, grew up in the forest, mm-hmm. um, spent a lot of time in the woods, on the water, in the mountains as a child, and still do. Uh, walking in streams, water skiing on Puget Sound and Lake Washington, skiing up in the mountains, camping at Mount Rainier and up in the San Juan Islands. So the nature experiences, you know, growing up as a kid really informed my values. Yeah. Uh, the fact that nature means so much to me and it's a place where I, where I restore my spirit. Um, and that oldest of five kid is also important. I, I sometimes, in, in terms of my story and, and who I am, I, I sometimes say that I've been a boss since my next youngest sibling was born <laughs> when I was 18 months old. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so my parents had five kids very, very close in age, um, five kids in only six years. And we all live in the Puget Sound area. Um, So we're still, you know, very close. And I think that the family connections, the kind of loyalty and care for each other there, and that sense of feeling responsible uh, at an early age as the oldest of five little ones, 
really informed me becoming a leader in the workplace at a pretty young age. Yeah. So that's that's some of my story. Yeah. That responsibility just sort of baked in there because of the your being the first. Um, and I'm sure your mom needing you <laughs> with five of them <laughs> under six. I was like, wow. Yeah. 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 So it was yeah. just who you, know, you were. Yeah. You grew up being the leader. Yeah. Yeah. You know, another thing that, that comes to mind that that's part of my story. I mean, all family has ups and downs, right? Including mine. And one of the things that I'm super grateful for is that my parents always believed in me. Mm. And so not, not everybody gets that as a child. And certainly I do sometimes have self doubts. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Don't we all right. And somehow like hardwired, you know, by my parents and me from a very early age was this feeling of self-efficacy. Yeah. You know, that that I can I can do it. I can do hard things, you know, that I'm capable. Um, the flip side of that is I, I have had to learn to ask for help occasionally. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and but mainly that that's been a really positive thing throughout my adult life that I I grew up with that feeling of you know, my parents really believing in me. Yeah. Yeah. And what a gift. What a gift that mm, is. Huge. Yeah. Huge. It is. Well, yeah. What a great way to grow up with that kind of confidence and that kind of, you know, mm-hmm. self-centered, not mm-hmm. self-centered in a bad way, but, you know, centered in what you believe in, what you know, and, and knowing that you're always going to have people on your side. That yeah. That is a great way to set the stage for adulthood, I think. Mm-hmm. We should see that more often. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Susan, there are so many critical challenges in the world, such as climate change and social justice issues, political unrest, COVID, and working in new ways such as hybrid or returning to the workplace. These have left many people in a state of anxiety and burnout. Yet, there are also people who are thriving. So, what gives you hope in the world today? And how do you sustain that spirit? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's such a thoughtful question. Um, I don't, uh, there are people who are thriving. And when I think about my clients, my family, my friends, sort of, you know, my, my, my extended network of connections, I can't think of anybody who has not struggled in some way. Mm, yeah, yeah. Over these last, you know, two and a half ish years, um, and the hits just keep on coming. Um, so, how do I stay hopeful? Um, well, you know, some days I don't feel very <laughs> hopeful. <laughs> yeah. I'll I'll be honest. Um, and in general, I I do feel optimistic. Um, I think that's part of of my nature. So what what 
gives me hope? What do I feel hopeful about? Um, you know, looking at people who are willing to engage with people who have different beliefs than theirs, who see the world differently and mm -hmm. want to show up and have a real meaningful conversation about differing perspectives. That that gives me hope for sure. People who are open, wanting to learn, curious, um, people who are willing to change their minds, you know, when presented with uh, evidence, a better argument, you know, whatever. Um, I've had a couple of wonderful experiences this year that absolutely were were really fun and also left me with more hope for the world. Um, in February, my siblings, they're our partners and the nieces and nephews. So there was a group of like 12, 14 of us. We all went on vacation together for a week because since COVID, we hadn't really had much time together. So we all went on vacation together and it was so cool to be with my nieces and nephews mm -hmm. who range in age from 30 something down to only four years old. Wow. <laughs> um, and it was, it was life-giving. And then um, part of the vacation that we were on in June uh, was another family vacation, this one on my kind of my husband's family. Um, and it included our grandson and granddaughter who are five and two. Mm -hmm. And so those experiences of having wonderful quality time, laughter, great conversations with loved ones after not having enough of that for two, two and a half years. And in particular, seeing sort of the younger gen generation, if you will, mm -hmm. you know, young people from toddlers, you know, up to 30s, and their curiosity, um, their desire to work and make a difference, you know, for the ones who were in college or older. Um, and for the little ones, you know, two, four, five, just like having a hug from a little yeah. kid. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. playing and laughing totally filled my bucket. Yeah. And you know, it makes me think about all the kids who have really suffered as well during all of this, mm -hmm. you know, kids who are so used to being social and, and having all the interaction yes. all the time. And all of a sudden were right. taking school from home. They right. didn't know what they mm -hmm. were doing. And so I think it's just really encouraging to know that, you know, or to hear that you've had your family there. The kids were seeming totally on board, which is that engagement is so important for them mm -hmm. as well. So there, there's another question on that. And that is what what can leaders do to help their teams and their organizations be more resilient? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great question. Um, 
you know, there's been a fair bit written about that through COVID in particular. So gosh, there are like a lot of articles and sometimes I've, I've posted them on LinkedIn to, to share them with, um, with people that I'm connected with there. So one of the things that I think is, is super important is ask how people are doing. Um, Brene has this great quote, um, you know, Crystal, I know you're familiar with this, which is leaders must either invest a reasonable amount of time attending to fears and feelings or squander an unreasonable amount of time trying to manage an effective and unproductive mm. behavior. Yeah, so true. Yeah. Right. And so, so treating people as whole human beings asking how people are doing, creating space in one-on-ones, in team meetings to focus on how people are doing, what's happening with them, making it okay for people to ask for help and support um, really makes a difference. There was a a great article in HBR online. I can send you the link for this if you want afterwards. Just let me know. Yeah. Um, yeah. A few months ago in the spring uh, called Stop Framing Wellness Programs Around Self-Care. Yes. And so the idea was, you know, instead of a leader saying, well, self-care and resilience is an individual's personal accountability that has nothing to do with team or leader or corporate responsibility, right? This article talked about what are some of the ways that companies and teams can look at well-being and resilience um, and bring that into the organization. And one of the suggestions that I, I love in this article <clears throat> is the idea of creating a relational pause. Mm -hmm. So how are we doing as a team? How are you doing as a human? Actually slowing down, it goes back to Brene's quote, you know, slowing down and creating space for people to talk about how they're showing up, how they're feeling. Um, one of the other things that this article talks about that's so huge is the idea of having a conversation with a team to talk about how is the work we're doing impacting us as humans. So if we think about healthcare workers, yeah. teachers, mm -hmm. um, so many people... I mean, the list goes on and on, right? So many people. HR people. Who, yeah, HR, <laughs> HR human resources people, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think about coaches, and we three yeah. are all coaches, right? I mean, wow. I've been having conversations with my clients over the last, you know, two and a half years. Some of them have been really weighty. Um, really weighty in a way that's different from what I typically encountered before. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> this idea of slowing down and paying attention to what's happening with people, 
their feelings, their experience, what does it mean? And creating Amy Edmondson from Harvard would talk about the idea of psychological safety, Mm -hmm. that it's okay for people to talk about, wow, here's how the work that I'm doing is impacting me. Right. And then, you know, okay, what are the resources to support a person um, if they're struggling in some way? So those are a few things that come to mind. Right. And um, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I was, I was just going to say, and, and you're right, there are a lot of articles out there, but it's like juggling jello, you know, trying to find that little sweet spot in each of the articles that you can take away and say, okay, this mm-hmm. is something we can use. So this is really mm-hmm. good to hear because, um, yeah, we tend to trust the the biggies like, you know, HBR and and mm-hmm. even Forbes has you know articles often. Yes, that, but right. But you have to be able to put it into play. And and I think what you're talking mm-hmm. about is you know how do you mm-hmm. how do you make use of that information? Exactly. That's really good. Right. That's right. Um, you know, if I could go back just for a moment to the question you asked a couple of minutes ago about this idea of hope and and how do we sustain our spirits. Mm-hmm. Um, and this connects to what we were talking about just a minute ago, self-awareness is huge. Yes. If I don't know what's happening with myself, if I am not aware that my tank is empty, mm. if I'm not able to admit that to myself, then I'm really going to be in trouble. So self-awareness is key. Having some alone time, some time in community, time with others, also important. Um, A number of people that I've read over the last few years have have talked about the the concept of, this is my phrase here, the antidote to despair is action. Mm. The antidote to despair is action. And so if I feel hopeless about you know, the list goes on and on. You named some of those things, Tricia, a few minutes ago. If I feel hopeless, if I'm in despair, if I'm really struggling, what can I do to reset and recharge? It might be something very small. One of the practical shifts I made very, very early in the pandemic within the first couple of weeks is that I stopped scheduling meetings before nine in the morning. Mm -hmm. I almost never do that. And I started walking. So instead of getting in my car and driving an hour, an hour and a half to a client meeting, I claimed that time for myself. Almost always go for a walk, you know, enjoy a cup of coffee, maybe do some journaling. And that quiet time and the physical activity in the morning is one of the practices that's helped me sustain Mm. my spirit over the last couple of years. Mm. That's so rich, you know, and and you're right. We often don't even think about taking care of Mm -hmm. ourselves first. And as leaders, it's really critical because if they're not taking care of themselves, how in the world do they ever expect to be looking outward, you know? So that's awesome. Right. That kind of gets to that other Brene, uh, Brene Brown quote that I absolutely love, which is who we are is how we lead. Yes, you know? and that's just, right. So when you were saying, Susan, about, 
you know, I'm not going to take any appointments, not scheduling anything before nine o'clock because you recognize that how you show up in your day, how you can be present mm -hmm. for those people, your clients, um, customers depends on you mm -hmm. having that time. So that's actually yeah. part of your work, right? It's this, right. this is how I show up in a way that can mm -hmm. be beneficial right. to people. So without mm -hmm. that, I'm not as effective. So I think right. that's kind of the shift. And I think we're not going back. That's what I would say is that mm -hmm. I feel like there has been this sort of fundamental shift that people recognize that mm -hmm. going forward, we it is part of what we need to do is to be aware and to provide these the space for mm -hmm. people to be able to show up. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Um, Kristen Neff, uh, who's on the faculty at University of Texas, Austin, is another one who's just a great thinker about how do we thrive? Her area of expertise is self-compassion. And, and uh, one of the things that she's written and speaks about is that we, we, in order to thrive, we need both what she calls tender self-compassion which is about our inner healing. And we also need fierce self-compassion, mm. <laughs> which is about what are we doing to make outer change? What are the practices, the boundaries we're setting? What are the things that we're actually putting into motion mm -hmm. to take care of ourselves and make a difference? And that it's the combination of those two things the tender self-compassion, the fierce self-compassion that help us thrive. Yeah, that's so powerful. It's like a look in the mirror, you know? Yeah. It, yeah. It's hard to do for some people, but that, that does sound yeah. really like it makes a lot of sense. You know, you've got to be honest with yourself at some point. You yeah. know, if and take some accountability. Yeah. Yeah. To do something that is going to make it better. Yeah. Such, such good stuff. <laughs> Hanging on every word, Susan. <laughs> All right. So we're going to move on to a little bit different topic, which really sort of touches more on your work that you've done as a consultant to Berg and your work regarding the Certified Dare to Lead Facilitator. So the question uh -huh. is, you're a Certified Dare to Lead Facilitator which comes from, obviously, we've been talking about this from Brene Brown and your consultancy work. And I, I just want to give you a little shout out to that last podcast uh, that Brene Brown had. You uh, met, She mentioned you several times in the good work that you and Ico did together. Yeah. And I thought that was really great. But you're also mentioned in some of her books as well. Mm -hmm. So you've been an important part of that work that she's doing. And I love that she's giving you credit for that. Yes. So and we'll put links um, in the in the show notes there so people can go back and listen to that if they're interested. So question around this kind of work. How has this work, the work with Brene Brown and her her organization, how has that impacted you as a leader? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, great question. And so I'll I'll maybe just expand a teeny bit there to say that um Iko Bethia, who's also a certified Dare to Lead facilitator, and I co-facilitated uh, Dare to Lead training. That's what you're referring to and what Brene talks about in the podcast, right? We co-facilitated a Dare to Lead training <clears throat> in the spring 
uh, for Brene's company, uh, which is based in Houston. And it was what they chose to do when they first came back together again. Mm -hmm. I love that. Into the Mm -hmm. workplace after two years of not being in the office together because of COVID. Um, And it was such an amazing experience um, to be there with them and, and share that together. So this is going to perhaps seem a little bit of a roundabout answer to your question, Crystal. Um, One of the reasons why Brené's work resonated with me so much when I first met her a decade ago is that it really spoke to the journey I had been on at that point for around 15 years. Um, I spent the first part of my career in banking, like super buttoned up. I mean, this was like back in the day, you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> like bow ties and suits. Yep. You know? <laughs> um, and so I left that banking career because I felt like there was something missing and it just felt like I I didn't have the language for it at that point, but it felt like I'm not really in alignment with the purpose of the organization in terms of what my greatest passions and values are. Mm, Yeah. And I wasn't sure what would come next. I just knew, you know, it wasn't that. Um, And so I spent time, you know, really contemplating going through a discernment process, you know, who am I at this stage of my life? I was 37 then. Um, And what does that mean in terms of, you know, the kind of work that I want to do, how I want to make a difference in the world, who I am as a leader, how I want to show up. So, you know, fast forward, when I met Brene a decade ago, uh, her work just really landed with me. It was like, ding, 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 that's it. (laughs) Um, You know, this idea of authenticity, vulnerability, based on her research, um, felt like coming home in a way to me and I knew that I wanted to do more of that you know personally and professionally so I got certified and have been you know involved with her organization in a variety of ways ever since Um, and I believe I'm a absolutely a work in progress in a zillion ways. And I believe I'm, I'm a better leader and a more wholehearted human um, because I have been putting the work into practice for a decade. Um, plenty of imperfections, 
And I feel like I'm more in tune with, you know, well, what are they and how do I want to work on it? (laughs) You know, than I would have been like way back in the day for sure when I was in banking and even looking at, you know, working as a leader, you know, 12, 15 years ago. That's a long answer. So I'll, I'll pause there. Yeah. I, I love that. And I, it kind of gets to what I was saying um, in the very beginning. And one of the things that I, really appreciate about you is that you live the work. And so like you were saying, I've practiced this for the last 10 years. So and and I also I mean, and you said you're a work in progress. And I love that. Too. It's like, even though you've been at the beginning of this work, and of course, we love all of Brene Brown's uh, stuff. And it's so powerful. Um, it's like you can read the book over and over, you can do the mm-hmm. workshops, you can and, and you learn more every time. And, yes, and it is, sure. it's like, like you said, it's a practice. It's, it's, mm-hmm. you got to practice it. So, um, so I, I love that. Yeah, I think it, to me, it's really interesting, because there are a lot of people who go out and read books, right? And they read um, books by Brene Brown, I have them in my library, and I do mm-hmm. read them as well. I love them. Um, making a commitment to put it to work, and make it your life journey, to me is, it, it's, amazing. And it's hard for some people, even for me sometimes to think about being on that track completely. I will get on that track, but I might jump off, you know, because Mm -hmm. I have other things going on that distract me or pull me away. But I just really love the fact that that we have a representative here. And there are others who have followed Brene the same way. And, Mm -hmm. and these are the messages that I hope leaders are listening to. And so I love that you have that. And I hope that that's what you're getting to do is to share that with the leaders who are struggling, you know, in many ways, they, they may be doing a wonderful job as leaders and they may have missed the boat in some areas and just some of that self-work can make a difference. So, um, I, I really appreciate this, this information. It's wonderful. And I'm sure um, sort of our next question too, is that it shows up with your work, with your, in, in your coaching and mm-hmm. with your working with other clients, mm-hmm. t- of course, you know, the certification of the workshop, but even like how you approach your clients and the other organizations, bringing that notion, those foundational pieces with you as you consult with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, one of the big surprises for me um, is just how popular Brene's work has become. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I can remember being in conversation with her a decade ago and saying, did you know you have 90,000 followers on Facebook? <laughs> yeah. And we were like, yeah, can you believe it? Well, now it's like something like four, uh, approaching 4 million on mm-hmm. Facebook. And, and there's just been such a kind of sea change globally in the language that people use, Mm -hmm. how we talk about leadership. um, And Brene's work connects to, you know, it's simpatico with the work of so many other great researchers and thought leaders. One of them, Amy Edmondson, of course, on psychological safety, Mm -hmm. who who I mentioned earlier. Um, You know, Susan David, emotional agility, uh, another, and the list goes on and on. And so, <clears throat> I, 
I think that there is there is something very real <laughs> that has been happening mm-hmm. <laughs> over the last eight or ten years in the field of leadership, yeah, and culture in organizations. And what I see in my own, you know, business practice, I've been a solopreneur, executive coach and organizational consultant for seven years now. What I see is a tremendous interest from companies, large and small, nonprofits, large and small, et cetera, in becoming braver at work, being able to skill up to have those challenging conversations, building trust, um, becoming more resilient, and so on. And it's it's really cool. It's exciting to, yeah. to see it happening. I mean, there just has been some real groundswell of change over these last sort of seven to 10 years. I just have to share something that was came to mind while you were talking. And I was thinking, you know, I have a friend who last year read Dare to Lead for the first time. And yeah. it, it totally resonated with her. And she talked to her, she's a, a, a chief financial officer. And she talked to her um, C-suite group. Mm-hmm. And they all looked at her as if she were a little strange, you know. Mm-hmm. How can we possibly even a little fluffy going on here, you know? Yeah. But she talked her CEO into reading it. And where everybody looked at her as if she had three eyes, all of a sudden the CEO read it and found it to be helpful. Mm-hmm. And he asked the rest of the group to read it. And now mm-hmm. they use they use principles from the book in their conversations during like their, they, they have monthly uh, meetings that where everybody gets together and they actually incorporate that as a part of the, the meeting. And Love it. it's encouraging to see that, you know, it just takes getting your foot in the door sometimes mm-hmm. for that to, mm-hmm. to start taking hold. I hope that it's making, I haven't really gotten any information about how it's uh, impacting the people below that. But mm-hmm. I think anytime you've got a C-suite where people may not necessarily completely trust each other, they need to start somewhere. And apparently mm-hmm. it was that book that started it yeah. for them. So yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. fabulous. I, I love hearing that, Tricia. Thank you. And, um, you know, <clears throat> one of the things that I think is so powerful about Brene's work is that it is grounded in her 20 plus now years of research. And so, so yes, it is about relational skills. It helps us, you know, connect more effectively with other people, et cetera. And it's more than that. (laughs) Um, You know, it's very actionable and practical and it's rooted in the data. So what I see is <clears throat> when I'm working with leaders who are, as you said, CFOs or chief IT officers or research scientists who have been elevated into leadership roles who are trying to figure out how do I go from being a research scientist to leading a hundred research scientists, the fact that 
Brene's research is the foundation for these four courage building skill sets really carries weight. It has a real powerful, a really powerful impact on people. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So as we think about making it actionable, and I agree, yeah. there's a lot of really good things in there and more than we can cover today for sure. Right. What would you say are a few key insights that you could share with our listeners, takeaways from Brene Brown's work to help mm-hmm. them lead in a world now as a more courageous and brave leader? Mm-hmm. And we so we just need that so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful question. Well, <clears throat> One of my mottos is uh, do what's uncomfortable mm-hmm. and discover what's possible. <laughs> I just love that. that in there. <laughs> Can yes. we quote what, you on that? Do, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on my website, actually. Do what's uncomfortable <laughs> and discover what's possible. Oh, and so, You know, one of the things that Brene writes about is this idea of normalizing discomfort. Is it hard? Is it uncomfortable to receive feedback that feels negative or critical? Yes. Is it uncomfortable to tell someone that they're being laid off? You know, is it hard to tell a person that they're being, you know, reorged and their job's going to be different and it's not their most desired career direction? I mean, there are a zillion and one conversations at work and, of course, in life that we face (laughs) that require us to be brave. Um, and so one of the insights, you know, from from Brene's research is we can learn how to be more courageous and brave. Um, and we can show up for those hard conversations. We can face things with more courage. Yeah. Wow. And I love the fact that it's it's first <laughs> do what's uncomfortable. <laughs> And, yes, and then see right. what's possible. So it's not the reverse. And I, I think that sometimes we think about um, or we feel that uncomfortableness in our body and we think oh, that's the stopping point. We got to mm-hmm. stop because danger, yeah. right? Danger, yeah. danger. Yeah. But being aware of that, it's like, no, we're going to actually ask you to push through that a little bit and see yes. what's on the other side and right. do what's hard. Yeah. Right. Well, this is the idea of, you know, vulnerability, which Brene defines as that feeling we experience when we're facing risk, uncertainty, emotional exposure. That vulnerability is the discomfort. It's when we're uncomfortable. And so we've got to be able to step into that and step through it you know, with courage in order to see what's possible. And much of the time, not always, but much of the time, once we get beyond that initial feeling of discomfort or fear, whatever, in fact, our horizons open up. Our conversations, our relationships open up in incredible ways. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Thanks for sharing that. Boy, so we could talk forever. (laughs) 
<laughs> with but, you. But we want to know, what are you really excited about going forward? Yeah, thank you. Well, a lot of things. <laughs> um, you know, in no particular order, okay, uh, we are go. My husband Chuck and I are going to go see the grandkids in a week and have a, a long weekend with uh, the five-year-old and the two-year-old, and we're so excited about that because <laughs> we haven't seen them for a couple months now. Mm. Um, we are going kayaking up in the San Juan Islands nice. <laughs> uh, later this summer, which is kind of a long-held tradition. We almost every year we go up there late summer and go kayaking for several days and just love that that outdoor time in nature. And and finally, I would say that what I'm excited about is being back with humans in the mm. workplace. Um, I I love to facilitate, and while I flexed okay with the virtual world, when things began opening up enough that some companies were doing in-person like team retreats or leadership trainings. Again, oh my gosh, it just, it was so fabulous Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to like go into a room and there's, you know, two dozen people there or whatever the number is. And to feel that energy that there's, yeah. I mean, you literally can feel that kind of lift where people are excited to be together with their colleagues. Um, that puts a huge smile on my face. And so I've got some in-person events coming up um, in the months ahead and can't wait. <laughs> That's great. That's I encouraging. It. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to know that more and more people are coming back. I, I've, yeah. been, I've been facilitating lately as myself and it's it gives me joy. <laughs> I'm feeling joy. Yes. It's like really mm -hmm. interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, feeling that energy from, yeah. I think we've missed it for sure. Yeah. And you know what I yeah. really missed is those flip charts and post-its. Oh, <laughs> no, it's the blue Man tape. Too. Oh, yes, the blue that, tape. <laughs> it's that blue tape. That's all oh I care gosh, about. Oh, for the dots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is something about that physical movement. Anyway, yeah. we could go on and on. Thank you so much, um, Susan. I'll leave the last word um, to you. If there's anything else that we didn't get to that you wish we would have or that you'd like to say to our listeners, mm -hmm. is there anything left here? I know there's lots left, but anything that you feel like you really wanted to get to? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Well, I'll, I'll offer two short things. Number one, Brene's website is fabulous and has incredible free resources, an abundance of free resources for people to use in organizations with their teams and colleagues. And so for people who haven't checked out Brene's website, great place to go. Um, the Dare to Lead Hub, the Dare to Lead podcast, the Unlocking Us podcast, and the list goes on and on. Terrific content there um, that's really worth checking out and, and using. And secondly, I would say, take good care. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Take Thank good you for care. That. Yeah, 
Great. Well, thanks again so much. Um, I know we'll be seeing you um, and following you. Um, We'll be at whatever next retreat you do. (laughs) We are fans. We're fans. Well, Um, I'm I'm the same about you both. Thank you for the invitation. I'm very grateful. Great. Thank Thank you, you, Susan. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Wow. Crystal, spending time with Susan was amazing. It was such a gift, and I swear I was hanging on every word. Um, it was just so rich. I loved it. It was, you know, we have to admit we were looking at her on screen, right? And yes. I could not take my eyes off her. That was really very fun, yeah. a lot of fun. So let's keep that conversation going. If you have questions or comments about the show, you find us on our social media channels at lifting underscore leaders. There are so many exceptional podcasts coming up, more with fantastic guests like Susan. So be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you know someone who could find this episode inspiring, share it with them, text them, email them, or take a screenshot and share it on your Instagram and tag us at lifting underscore leaders. If you'd like to know more about us, our guests, or the show, please go to our website at liftingleaderspodcast.com. You'll find show notes there as well. If you're looking for help in developing your leaders or would like a growth opportunity yourself through leadership coaching, please contact us through our website at www.liftingleaderspodcast.com. Thank you, as always, to Ari Chance Roberts, who is our technical support of this show. And lastly, please subscribe to our podcast. It is free. Crystal, thank you. You brought us Susan. Thank you for the co-hosting. That was wonderful. Thank you. Thanks to our audience for listening as well. Please find ways every single day to lift each other up. Take care. Bye. Bye.